Okay, three, two, one, go. Welcome to our CI 415 podcast. We are podcast group number three, and we are all super excited to share our thoughts, opinions, and give you all a better insight of who we are as individuals and a group. Christina, cue the music. We wanted to introduce ourselves so you can all get a better understanding of who we are and can imagine the face behind the voice. I'll start off by introducing myself. My name is Christina and I'm a junior majoring in elementary education and I'm an exchange student from Ecuador. My name is Yelen and I'm a junior majoring in early childhood education. I love doing digital art and making paintings as a hobby. My name's Annette, and I'm a sophomore majoring in elementary education. Something fun about me is that I love dogs, and I have a beagle whose name is Kiko. And lastly, my name is Amira, and I'm a sophomore majoring in elementary education. And something cool about me is that I have a twin brother. To start off, we will be defining the term colonialism. Colonialism is the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country occupying it with settlers and exploiting it economically. Some other terms we talked about include race, a group of people who have common physical traits and come from a specific racial background, ethnicity, a state of belonging to a group with common nationality, and culture, custom, um, customs, art, tradition of a particular people. In this podcast, we will be highlighting colonialism history, colonialism in education, and colonialism in regards to language loss, translanguaging, and code switching. Going off what Annette said, we will be starting with the history of colonialism and colonialism in education. So what is it? Colonialism, as stated earlier, is a practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country. In a U.S. context, it's historically marked by European settlement in the Americas. The U.S. political system has used colon colonialism to maintain structures that are upholding subordination, racial hierarchy, slavery, genocide, and white supremacy. A colonial tactic used within the education system is a divorce of language used within the home and community from the space of school, promoting the idea of English superiority. So who is affected? Colonialism within the education system and schools has perpetually had a largely negative impact on minority populations. Indian boarding schools were created to erase a native child's cultural identity. 
to better assimilate them into American society. Boys had their heads shaved, their native tongues forbidden and forgotten, spiritual practices demonized, and many were forced into being Christianized. Black children were barred from receiving a formal education for decades. When they were later allowed to be educated, they were given deplorable learning environments and provided inadequate resources, creating academic setbacks that continued to affect the Black community. Latinx students were forced into deficit model programs that placed high emphasis on English as a golden mark, diminishing the value of Spanish and the student's cultural identity. Colonial models of education have greatly shaped language policies and standards that have normalized white supremacy within classrooms. Standardized English continues to be the dominant language in classrooms, resulting in students who speak Ebonics, improper English, and foreign languages to be punished. Students whose first language is not English are put in remedial classes. Special programs are held back, given detention for not complying to class rules, and more. Students who are not fully literate in standard English struggle with other subjects, such as math and history, because class material and texts are only offered in English. This causes disadvantaged minority and lower class students to fall behind their peers who are white and affluent, especially on standardized tests. Thanks, Yelen, for going through the history of colonialism and hinting on the effects of colonialism in education. It's Amira, and today Annette and I will be sharing more on colonial education and, hi- and highlighting what we as future educators can do to erase the mistakes of the past and create an environment for our students in which everyone is welcomed. So let's start off with defining what colonial education is. So colonial education involves one nation or territory taking control of another nation or territory, either through the use of force or by acquisition. (laughs) Acquisition. (laughs) Thank you. As a byproduct of colonization, the colonizing nation implements its own form of schooling within their colonies. Thanks, Annette. What also can be understood is that colonizing countries realize that they gain strength not only through physical control, but through mental control, too. This mental control is often stemmed from controlling how students are taught and what they are learning in our classroom. It has been understood that students who, who, who were affected a uh, long time ago strictly from colonial education entered a condition known as hybridity. Hybridity is this understanding in which students who were struck in the colonial education era are, have struggled with their, with their identities and create, or their identities are created out of multiple cultural forms and practices. After taking a closer look at colonial education and its issues, it has become clear to me that my personal biggest issue as a future educator with these practices include that these disgusting practices is that it can affect each student individually and can destroy completely their sense of self-confidence. Colonial education instills this level of inferiority and disempowerment of colonized people. Likewise, it creates this blurring issue that makes it difficult to differentiate between new and enforced ideas of the colonizers. So, you might be thinking, what as future educators can we do to ensure this doesn't continue on in our classrooms? 
For starters, we can be vocal to our students and community about our feelings of these disgusting practices, specifically the ideology behind stripping a person of their culture so they become quote-unquote more American. Second, in order to eliminate the harmful lasting effects of colonial education, we must try not to implement any types of teaching like that in our classrooms. As teachers, it is our job to help our students embrace their identity, culture, and background if they want to too. Likewise, we as teachers should focus our time in, in improving our understanding of things like ESL, bilingual education, SEL, also known as social and emotional learning, and much more. Our classrooms should be an environment that is inclusive and open to all. Education is not just for one type of person. It is for every human. Thank you, Amira. So I have some examples of colonialism in schools going off of what Amira said. So in our CI 415 class, we did different activity guides. And the activity guide my group and I did is a great example of what Amira was just talking about. In our activity guide, the scenario was that we were teachers at our school and our school was hosting a taco night to celebrate cultural diversity. Another teacher asked the student if the tacos are authentic and the student looked uncomfortable and shrugged. This is a good example of colonialism because we are guessing a student's culture and background by asking them if the tacos are authentic. We also made a map activity of Central America for the students to fill out, and we included hints to help them fill the map out. After finishing the map activity, it was apparent that it didn't help anyone learn much about Central America, including teachers. Labeling the map didn't celebrate Central American culture, and it didn't give us much information about Central America in general. This is another good example of colonialism in schools, because the hints given for the map activity reinforced stereotypes about migration and organized crime while glossing over histories of European and American colonialism. Thank you, Annette. Now I'm going to talk a little about translanguaging. We often hear the term translanguaging in relation to bilingual education, but it can be hard to understand what it truly means, how it differs to, from code switching, and how it relates to bilingual students. To understand this term, we first have to know where it came from. Translanguaging has been used by bilingual people for many years, but this term was first described in 1980 by St. Williams and his colleagues while investigating the way students could use, could use both English and Welsh in a lesson. They used the term translanguaging to describe the ability students had to listening or receiving information in one language and then writing or speaking about that information in another language. This term is now used to describe the way bilingual people use different linguistic features from different languages to make communication effective. Translanguaging differs, differs from code switching because it just focuses on maximizing communicative potential 
instead of the code or the language that is being used. So, how has, how has trans languaging impacted bilingual education? Bilingual education started with a two solitudes approach, where the language a student spoke were kept completely separate. One was used in the classroom and one was used at home or in the community. Oftentimes, students were punished and shamed for speaking a language other than English at school. But now, translanguaging pedagogy recognizes that all forms of communication shared by the students and the teacher are important and useful. Translanguaging in the classroom helps students maximize their communication, which helps them grasp concepts, make connections, and relate to their peers. How can translanguaging be used in the classroom? First, we have to recognize that using a language perfectly is not always the best way to help students learn. There are times when we need to focus on a student's ability to speak or write the language, but a lot of the times what really matters is how a student thinks or interprets the concept learned in the classroom. By allowing students to use translanguaging in the classroom, we are encouraging them to create an organic and real connection with the subject. It is important to recognize that a translanguaging pedagogy can be used even if the teacher doesn't speak the languages that the students speak, as long as all languages are welcomed and encouraged. Besides translanguaging, another thing brought up in this week's theme in class was language loss. So, what is language loss? Language loss can occur on two primary levels. It may be on a personal or familial level, which is often the case with immigrant communities in the United States. Uh. <laughs> okay. um, which is often the case with immigrant communities in the United States. Sorry, we just had technical errors. Or the entire language may be lost when it ceases to be spoken at all, according to Google. But from what we can see, language loss at one point was due to the education system implementing that we assimilate people into American cultures. Within the podcast that we had to write about this week in Reflection, the, po the podcast was t called Code Switch Podcasts. Miraji um, explains how Hawaiian language was completely banned in government and in schools after Hawaii's queen, Lilu Kalani, I'm sorry if I butchered that, was overthrown in 1893. As a result of this complete shift of power, Native Hawaiians, especially school children, were beaten, belittled for speaking their language, for, for, speaking, for speaking their native tongue. Thank you, Amira. I remember when I was listening to that podcast, I was very surprised to hear about that. So many children who grew up during this shift in education would raise their kids to speak only English. Parents justified their choice to raise their kids as English-only speakers because they didn't want their kids to have the same school experience as they did and because they believed that English was the key to their success, educational and career-wise. Larry Kimura did not grow up speaking Hawaiian, but later taught himself to connect with his indigenous roots. As Kimura grew older, he began to realize that as the older people within his community died, 
so was the Hawaiian language. The loss of the language extends beyond the language itself. It means the total loss of native songs, folk tales, art, spiritual practices, and ultimately the culture. The sentiment of English being understood to be the most critical thing about being successful connects the podcast, the stolen education film, and the lecture. Students who were bilingual did not feel pride in being able to speak their native tongue. The shift towards English, only instruction caused English as second language learners to become victims of physical abuse and humiliation. The first generation of students that grew up during the English-only movement experienced great linguistic shame leading to many refusing to speak anything other than English to their children out of fear. The second generation and those that followed would face language loss. Such events would push internal and external beliefs of English superiority and therefore perpetuate the belief of white superiority. Thank you, Annette. Individuals within communities of color face an identity crisis. They continue to face discrimination for not being American enough, but they do not possess any other strong cultural ties outside of the U.S. And even today, I witness my Mexican friends being made fun of by their families and other individuals within the Latino community for not being able to speak Spanish and for being too Americanized. My friends face equal sentiments of exclusion from their white peers who view them as foreign before acknowledging that they are American too because of their ethnic features. Despite having moderate fluency in Spanish and being an active memory member within my Latino community, I still have the belief of English superiority ingrained in me because of my negative school experiences. Um, Christina, cue the music for a quick little break. Thank you. 
Okay, thank you for the music break, Christina. So now we are going to have a small discussion. So at the end of our activity guides, we had two guiding questions. One was, what are the inequities? And two was, how can teachers change how educational institutions celebrate culture in trivial and sometimes stereotypical ways? So our first discussion will be about the first question. So I feel like after like what we all talked about in the podcast, like um, Yalen went through like the history of colonialism and then um, me, um, me and Annette, Annette and I, I mean, we went through pretty much like colonialism and education. And then um, Christina went over like language loss. And I feel like what from all of this, like what I can understand in regards to your guiding question, Annette, like the first one was... I forgot what it was. What was it again? The first question yeah. was, what are the inequities? Oh, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm guessing, mostly of your activity guide. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Or, like, maybe we can make it, like, super broad, too, and kind of yeah, just talk about, in general. like... <clears throat> yeah, for me, it was really interesting learning about the impacts of colonialism in education because I always thought those impacts only related to American schools and English, but I also could relate to my education growing up in Ecuador because even though I lived in a Spanish-speaking community, I started learning English when I was only five years old. And I remember there was a very strong emphasis on speaking language um, English without an accent. And I never understood why. But now I know that it's because uh, people that couldn't speak English without an accent were shamed and their lives were put in danger a lot of the time. So it was seen as a bad thing to speak English with an accent. So that's why we had uh, such a big emphasis on uh, speaking English like the correct way. Um, and that also impacted culture because uh, a lot of the times my friends and I were not longer interested in Ecuadorian music or Ecuadorian shows because mm -hmm. we were encouraged to consume American um, media as a way to improve our language. Yeah, that's like a, that's kind of like a huge shocker to me, Christina, that uh, you're talking about your experience, especially like living in Ecuador and everything. And I think it's just crazy how like Western or American culture has taken such a toll on like a beautiful country, country as Ecuador, like with such rich history and everything too, in which that like, people there but primarily through like colonizers have found the need to like change who they are just so they can like adapt to this like western ideology like that we're superior but in reality that isn't the case and I think that's pretty disgusting if you ask me that like mm -hmm. because of colonizing we make other countries that don't have as good, as, as good resources as America make them feel almost less and, like, it's kind of shocking to see that it changes everyone's perspective. Like, just colonizing mm -hmm. a country like Ecuador can change stuff, like, so much. And I think, yeah, it's kind of a shocker. Yeah, and it makes, like, younger students and, like, just people from those countries in general feel a lot, like, feel, like, not proud of their culture almost. Yeah. It makes them feel like they need to hide that and... Yeah be like more like American I guess exactly and it just is really sad because they should be able to be proud of who they are and yeah. their culture yeah. yeah for me it was a shock to learn the difference between how bilingualism is perceived in the United States versus mm -hmm. in Ecuador 
because in the United States, people see it often like as a bad thing. Mm. Like you didn't have the chance to be, I don't know, raised here or your parents yeah. didn't have the privilege to be born here. But in Ecuador, it's the complete opposite. It's seen as a privilege if you can learn something other than Spanish because we have the perception that Spanish is not good enough for the world. Yeah. So we need to learn something else. Mm. Yeah. I think actually like if you grow up white, and you're able to speak another language, you actually get praised about it. But if you yeah, grow up from a yeah. different culture, ethnicity, like, you don't get praised. You're yeah, just like, yeah. why don't you speak That's English so better? That's so true, yeah. yeah that is very or, like, it's real. almost like, why do you talk about it with an accent? Or, like, for me personally growing up, I was automatically put into ESL classroom just by based how I looked and how my mom mm-hmm. looked. Or, like, when my parents came to drop me off, they didn't even do, like, a testing or anything. Mm-hmm. They just placed me and my brother into ESL classroom. When, yeah. like, our whole block went into the same, like, grade or mm-hmm. whatever. And we got split up when I grew up mm-hmm. on my neighborhood. And, like, the kids who were, like, a Caucasian or white, they got placed into, like, a regular classroom. But because, like, I was a brown girl yeah. and, like, my mom was, of course, an immigrant woman, mm-hmm. I got placed into an ESL classroom. So, yeah, it's crazy how, like, yeah, Yelin just brought up such an important point. <laughs> yeah. I actually had, like, the same experience because oh I ended up moving a lot when I was little. So uh-huh. I had to transfer between schools a lot. And every time I transferred, I would immediately be put into, like, ESL. Yeah. Or if they didn't have ESL, I would be put into, like, the special education class. Oh, my God. Because, like, when my parents would, like, sign me up for school, like, they didn't speak English. Yeah. They spoke yeah. Spanish. And so they just assumed that I didn't know yeah. how to speak English. And so then after, like, a couple of weeks when they realized, like, oh, wait, you do know your glitch. Yeah, switch switch her real quick. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what happens in the the movie when they made kids repeat third grade for, Mm -hmm. like, three years instead of testing their abilities. And even though that was a long time ago, we can still see the impact in education today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even crazier because like majority of the time like even if you look in your high schools and stuff like our like honors or like gifted program kids are like it would depending on where you live like for me at least like I live in a really diverse area but like my high school like the honors AP kids track were primarily like white students Mm -hmm. and that was like kind of like I'm trying to like I think like once you connect the dots with what all of us said it's kind of like goes back to this understanding that like it's a superiority in this constant systemic, like, honestly, racism, but, like, this mindset that, like, um, superiority is being more American. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we talked about it a lot this week. Yeah. And just, like, highlighted that. And I'm still shook, like, after what Christian and Yellen said. Yeah. I feel like we all, like, grew up really differently and stuff, but, like, our foundation, I mean, our, like, experiences are so similar. And it's just, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I didn't. My first language wasn't English either. Uh-huh. So I was also, like, placed in that ESL program stuff. Yeah. And, yeah we what was your first language? Estonian. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I love this. We're learning new things about each other. Okay. <laughs> and I feel bad because I feel like a lot of the times when my mom is, like, speaking in English... She, like, always says how she's embarrassed because, like, mm-hmm. of her accent. It's so strong, and she, like, feels like she's always mispronouncing something. Yeah. Like, I mispronounce things a lot, too, because I'm, like, I- I'm still, like, learning. Sort <laughs> yeah, of, yeah, you know? yeah. Like, no, I'm I still it. not, yeah. like, 
Yeah. yeah. And I just like, I feel like, like going back to what, like you said exactly. And mm-hmm. like our parents and like our grandparents and stuff too, like when they all came here and everything, it's kind of this ideology that they're embarrassed because like, mm-hmm. this is what our society kind of teaches us that like, mm-hmm. in order for you to be accepted, you have to be one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not going to be the case with our future students. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want my student to be like norm, uh, like that, yeah. like the norm. I want yeah. them to break mm-hmm. the stereotype Me too. of like, you have to be this perfect person, but yeah. Yeah, I just think it's so cool when someone knows how to speak a different language. Exactly. And when like, someone's like... the connections. Like, like it's insane. I find it so interesting listening to them about, like, what their culture is. And, like, mm-hmm. I just find it so interesting. But, yeah. So, I guess we are getting close <laughs> to the two-minute mark of our podcast. And so, um, any final thoughts, everyone? Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we can all share something. Hmm. for me it has been really interesting to see how different types of bilingualism are given different like are seen different ways because for example in Ecuador a lot of people speak a, an indigenous language as well oh. but in schools they try to avoid using those languages and instead they start giving English as a second language oh. so it has been really interesting for me to compare bilingualism and education in the United States to Ecuador um, I got really sad after I watched like the Stolen Education podcast because all the stories that the people shared about like teachers like disregarding them or making them feel like stupid. Like I had those like, same experiences oh my like when I went to school and I'm like nothing has really changed. Yeah, yeah it sucks because no kid or student deserves that like or else they'll grow up just like In thinking that. that they're not smart enough or yeah. good enough and then that just like prevents them from you know i don't know like just yeah. i have imposter syndrome like all the time I'm like, <laughs> oh my I goodness yeah um, yeah i think uh from this week we all pretty much like tied in that like this all stemmed from colonialism mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. as disgusting as it is it needs to be brought up more in our history classes and yeah. w- in european settlers of course but also like americans we we colonize so many countries too and this is why we made so many countries think that english is supposed to be spoken a certain way yeah but yeah thank you guys all for talking <laughs> yeah. see you guys next week bye, bye. <laughs>